Live by faith. Thank you, choir. We continue in our sermon series from Paul's letter to the churches in the Galatian region. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Galatians chapter 3. We'll look at a little bit in Ephesians as well, maybe even Romans. So just be ready to turn left and right and keep your, your Bible open. Galatians chapter 3, the first 18 verses. Faith, the only way. Faith, the only way. A man dies, appears before the pearly gates for his entrance interview with St. Peter, and Peter says, you need a, a hundred points to make it into heaven, so let's get started. Let's get accounting here. Tell us about your life. And the guy says, well, I've been married to the same woman for over 50 years. Well, that's, that's worth one point, Peter. One point, the man says, 50 years? One point, well... What else have you done? Well, I went to church every single Sunday. In fact, I even went to prayer meeting, and Peter said, well, that's, that's worth another point. Another point, the man says. What else? What else? Well, I was on the benevolence committee at the church, and so I helped feed some hungry widows, and, well, I put some shoes on some homeless kids, and, well, Peter says, I guess that's, that's, that's another point. One, another point, that's just three points. He said, man, with a grading scale like this, it'd take the grace of God to get into heaven. <laughs> 97 points, the grace of God. <laughs> Come on in. In the first two chapters of Galatians, Paul addressed the problems of the Galatian churches by asserting his independence from Jerusalem. Those first two chapters, he wanted us to know that both his call as an apostle and the gospel of which he was a steward were not given to him by the pillar apostles in Jerusalem. But rather, he received his call as an apostle. He's on the road to Damascus. He sees the bright light. He's going to persecute the church, and it is none other than the glorified, resurrected Son of God on the road to Damascus that calls him into apostleship. One of the qualifications of an apostle is that one has seen the resurrected Jesus, and he saw the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that Jesus gave him his gospel. So up until now, we have dealt with Paul's history. Now in chapter 3, Paul turns away from his history to the history of the Galatian believers. He wants them to know that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone and not through the works of the law. Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone and not through the works of the law. Well, the first thing he says is, the presence of the Spirit declares that faith is the only way. Verses 1 through 5. The presence of the Spirit indwelling is, well, it's evidence that faith is the only way. Sometimes we too often discount spiritual experience. While our own experiences for sure must be measured against the revealed Word of God, we should not be too quick to discount encounters or experience with God. In fact, Scripture is a collection of testimonies of those who have had a spiritual experience, those who have encountered God 
For example, in the Old Testament, it's Moses at the burning bush. His life is radically changed at that encounter where he has that spiritual experience with Yahweh as he's called to set God's people free. Or in the New Testament, I think like a character like in John chapter 9 who was born blind. And to paraphrase his testimony, I don't know anything about the guy who did this to me, but this one thing I do know, I was born blind but now I see. Maybe it's the abuse of some groups that make us weary of speaking of our spiritual experiences, both God working in our lives and our, our working for God's kingdom. But, but Paul does not discount religious encounters. In fact, he points to the religious encounter of the Galatian believers as a key point in his premise that well, it is faith alone that saves us. Let's look at the first five verses here. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it, it was in vain, does he then who provides you the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing of the faith? Paul begins to use the word Spirit more and more in this Galatian epistle. He'll use it in chapter 4. He'll use it in chapter 5, the, the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5. Well, what does Paul teach about this Holy Spirit? He's saying the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life declares that faith is the only way of salvation. Well, here's some things he says about the Spirit. The first thing he says is this, that when you receive the gospel, you receive the Spirit. When you receive the gospel, you receive the Spirit. Sometimes, too often as believers, we hear of other groups of believers who believe that you, you must reach a, a certain level of maturity as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, and then as you work your way, you will receive the Spirit and dwelt among you. It is a, a sign of a, a next level or a second step. Turn over to chapter 4 and verse 6 of this same book, chapter 4. In, in verse 6, and because you are sons, that means believers, sons of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his son in our hearts saying, Abba, Father. Because you are a believer, God has indwelt you with his Holy Spirit that you may cry out to God is your Father. So the first thing Paul teaches them about the Holy Spirit is this. That when you receive the gospel, when you believe, you receive the Spirit. We're seeing that in our study on Sunday nights in Acts. To say Jesus is Lord is to be indwelt by the Spirit. Because you are my sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Well, there's a, a second thing he says about the Holy Spirit, and that's this. It's for the whole community. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Jesus. Not just an elite few and not just the leaders, not just the apostles, but rather the Spirit comes to the whole community and not just an elite 
few. Well, it, it comes to us all. Turn back to Romans. That'd be the left of your Bibles. You'll go back past 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, and then you'll come to, to Romans chapter 8 and, and verse 9. The Spirit's for the whole community, Romans 8, 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Do you see that? You cannot be a Christian and not be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He says here, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, then you do not belong to Christ. That's it. The Holy Spirit's not for the leadership or the elite few or for pastors or the Holy Spirit is for all who say Jesus is Lord. And if Christ is in you, verse 10, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from among the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, bodies to the Spirit who dwells in you. It is the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, which is the promise of your own bodily resurrection, he's saying. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if, if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds, the body you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Who is a son of God? Those who are indwelt, those who are led by the Spirit. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption by which you might cry out. See that Abba again? God calling Father by, by the Spirit. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, we're heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Indeed, we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. All God's children, back to Galatians, have been baptized by one spirit, the spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's the Holy Spirit's for all who call Jesus Lord. Well, the Third thing he says about the Spirit is this. Paul made it clear that walking by the Spirit and walking by the flesh are not the same thing. We'll see that more in Galatians chapter 5. But we who are indwelt by the Spirit of the Christ, we are called to walk in the way of the Spirit there. It is a contradictory approach to life to be led by the impulse of the flesh, but rather to be led by the presence of the Holy Spirit which resides within us. Well, what's perplexing, Paul, is this. How can you begin your journey in Christ being led by the Spirit, O Galatians, and now all of a sudden want to go back to the Jewish law? How can you, who are, have once walked by faith and dwelt by the Spirit, now want to walk according to the works of the law? It can't be done, he says. You, you cannot invalidate your journey of faith. Well, the next second big thing, he says, is this. The experience of Abraham declares that faith is the only way. The experience of Abraham declares that faith is the only way. Look at verse 6 through 14. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You see what he's doing here. How did 
the forefather of all Jews, make it into the kingdom of God. Abraham believed. It wasn't works. It wasn't circumcision. Abraham believed. In fact, he's about to tell you Abraham existed 430 years before Moses ever received the Jewish law. Abraham did not become a believer by following the law. He did it by faith. Abraham believed. He's quoting Genesis there. He's quoting Genesis 15, 6, verse 7. Therefore, be sure it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham, who are the real people of God, those who, who believe, not those who obey the law, he's saying. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and now he quotes Genesis 12, 3, all the nations shall be blessed in you, Abraham. You're carrying a message not just for your descendants or one nation, but rather for all the nations of the earth are blessed through Jesus, is what he's prophesying. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. How do you become a son of Abraham? Well, Abraham was a man of faith. He's the father of faith. It is believers who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 10. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. I'm about to show you what he's saying is this, Deuteronomy 27. You want to make it by the way of the law? You're going to receive the curse of the law. Now, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for, Habakkuk 2, 4, a righteous man shall live by faith. However, he says, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, Deuteronomy 21. Nor that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, so he might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus, the Messiah, is a Jew from the tribe of Judah. And so the early church faced this question, who are the real people of God? What is the identifying characteristic of all who would call themselves sons of Abraham? Paul argued why even Abraham was saved not by circumcision, but rather he was saved by his faith. Abraham believed and it was counted is righteousness. In fact, Paul is demonstrating that we, the Gentiles, that all nations are part of Abraham's heritage. We're part of the lineage of the very father of the Israelite people. Now, Paul's argument was a very difficult one for the Judaizers, those who were emphasizing the Jewish law to discount, because Paul knew that God had declared that it had been written and recorded that Abraham was righteous because Abraham believed. Abraham believed that God would give him a son despite his age and Sarah's age. Abraham believed that God would multiply his descendants like the sand of the seashore. Abraham believed that in him all the nations of the earth would be, let, be blessed. Abraham didn't work. Abraham believed. He believes in chapter 15, his circumcision comes in Genesis 17, and it is simply a sign of his faith. It is not a work. 
Therefore, he says in 3.7 here, it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. As we approach the New Testament, we need to remember that the real Israel is composed of those who say Jesus is Lord, both Jew and Gentile. In fact, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul declared that the Gentiles of the flesh who were once excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants and the promises are now in Christ Jesus, no longer strangers to God. Turn over to Ephesians 2, just to the right in your Bible. It won't be about four pages. Ephesians 2.12. What Paul is saying about those who believe being the true descendants of Abraham is not just in Galatians. It's in Romans. It's in Ephesians. It's one of the things certain about Paul's theology. Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at the time separate in Christ, from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one, broke down the law, the barrier, the dividing wall, abolishing his flesh, the enmity which is the law of commandments, contained in the ordinances that himself might make the two into one man, thus establishing peace. We're just one. The wall is broken down, he's saying. It is all called together. Well, back to Galatians chapter 3. In fact, in his letter to the capital city in Rome, he says in Rome 2, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision something that is of the flesh, but rather he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is circumcision, real circumcision is of the heart. Done how? By the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praises from men, not from men, but from God, Romans 2, 28 through 29. So Abraham's faith is proof that faith is the only way. It continues in verse 10 by saying, if you want to keep the law, you've got to keep all the law, and cursed is the one who hangs on the tree. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, there are a myriad of verses, 12 verses, that begin with the word cursed, cursed, cursed. If you're going to base your salvation on keeping the law, then you've got to keep all 613. However insignificant the commandment might seem, well, you've placed yourself under a fatal curse because just like one can't do in a Rubik's Cube behind their back, you cannot keep all 613 laws. It cannot be done. It's a grim picture, the human dilemma. The law requires obedience for salvation, and yet we cannot keep the law. What is the answer? He gives us the answer when he says, Christ redeemed us. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming the curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, quoting the Old Testament. Christ takes the curse of the law upon himself on the cross that we may be free to live by faith. Christ did for us what we could not do. He took the curse of the law that we could be free from the power enslavement of the law. Kevin Bacon remembers the first time his six-year-old son saw the movie Footloose. 
Hey, Dad, you know the movie when you swing from the rafters of that building? Man, that is really cool, Dad, said his six-year-old to Kevin Bacon. How did you do that? Well, son, he said, that, I, I didn't really do that part. That was a, that was a stunt, man. And son's real perplexed. In the movie, it looks like his dad, Kevin Bacon, is doing that. What's the stunt man, the six-year-old asked? Well, it's a guy that looks kind of like me, and he dresses like me, and he does the things I, I cannot do. Well, a little later, the son didn't get it. He came back in and said, you know that part in the movie where you spin around on that gym bar and you land on your feet? He said, Dad, that was really, really cool. My friends like that. Dad, tell me, I've never seen you do that. How did you do that? He said, well, son, it wasn't, it wasn't actually me. It was a stunt double. A stunt double did that. And he said, well, well what is, a, what is a, a stunt double? Well, again, son, it's somebody that looks like me. In fact, this guy was a gymnast. He dresses like me, and he does the things I, I cannot do. The son left, and finally came in a few minutes, looked at, to his dad and says, well, what did you do <laughs> in the movie? God looks at us and says, in regard to our salvation... What did you do? Nothing. Nothing. It is only our faith in the one who did it all. Our faith in Christ that saves us. Well, there's a third major movement here at the end, 15 through 18. The irrevocability of the covenant demonstrates that faith is the only way. The unchangeable, the irrevocable nature of the covenant shows us that faith is the only way, verses 15 through 18. Look at verse 15. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. In other words, even when men make a contract, you can't change the contract once it begins. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed. Well, the one seed of Abraham, of course, is Christ. What I'm saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate the covenant previously ratified by God, so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise, but God has granted to Abraham, Abraham by means of a promise. In verse 16, Paul is showing the solidarity of the single seed in order to distress our unity of, of the church. Maybe that's why Paul was so upset over table fellowship there in Antioch, because there is only one seed of Abraham. There isn't a Jew and Gentile in Christ. There is all sons of Abraham. There are all sons of Abraham. What he's saying here is the law of Moses came 430 years later. 430 years later, the law of Moses, these 613 laws, do not nullify the fact that Abraham's covenant with God, which preexisted Moses' laws, well, it was based on a promise. It was based on the faith of Abraham. Abraham believed and God counted it to him as righteousness. In London, the great architect Christopher Wren designed St. Paul's Cathedral, the highest and largest unsupported dome that has ever been conceived by 
a human architect. City fathers argued with Christopher Wren and told him that the dome was too large, that it, it would not be able to stand, that you need to put pillars underneath it, columns underneath it to hold it up. And he argued with them and told them he'd done the math calculations and it would be able to stand unsupported. And they said, no, it wouldn't. And so he had them build the pillars up. And, well, the story goes, I've not been able to verify it or disprove it, that about a century later that they were cleaning the dome. When they got up there, they noticed there was a half-inch space between the top of the column that supported it and the dome itself, meaning he built the column so it would look like it was supporting the dome just to satisfy their insistence. Our works may look like they get us to heaven. They may cast the image that we're good people. But in reality, all the weight of our hope of salvation is based upon the faithfulness of Jesus to die on the cross, to receive the curse of the law. And we have begun this journey by faith. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead, that will one day raise us from the dead. And therefore, Paul says to the foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you to think you could begin the journey on faith and then switch back to the Jewish Law. Now, Paul never discounts righteous living. You'll see at the end, he tells us, now that we're indwelt by the Spirit, we are to live by the Spirit. We fill out applications for everything, don't we? Credit cards, college admissions, purchase insurance. Imagine yourself filling out an application trying to get into heaven and, well, you give your name, your address. I'm sure they need your social security number up there too. Well, they want it all. List of qualifications. You better write down. You better just look over to the crucified and resurrected Jesus and say, all I can tell you is I'm with him. All I can tell you is I am with him. He died for me. He arose for me. And I have faith that he is the Lord, the one and true Son of God. Let us pray. Oh, God, it's so easy. find ourselves walking away from our faith in Christ and relying upon our own good deeds, our own works, to forget that if we go down that path of law-keeping in order to be your son, that we must keep them all and we cannot do it, and therefore we receive the curse of the law. May we hold tight to the one seed of Abraham, the Christ who's already received the curse of the law that we might miss it. And we walk by faith. Faith in the one and true Son of God, crucified, resurrected, returning for His people, which is Jew and Gentile, the church, the true sons of Abraham, circumcised not of the flesh, but of the heart by the Spirit. And in His name we pray. Amen.